Sonar Fly Fishing Internet Radio, your source for learning more about fly fishing in cold water, warm water, and salt water. Hello, I'm Roger Maves, your host for tonight's show. On this broadcast, we'll be featuring Steve Ramirez, and he'll be answering your questions on casting forward, onward, and seaward. This show will be 90 minutes in length, and we're broadcasting live over the Internet. If you'd like to ask Steve a question, just go to our homepage at askaboutflyfishing.com and use the Q&A text box to send us your question. We'll receive your question immediately, and we'll try to answer as many of them as possible on the show tonight. And while you're there, make sure you sign up to receive our announcements so you don't miss out on any of our future broadcasts. Just fill out the form on the right side of our homepage, and we'll let you know when the next live show will be. This broadcast is being recorded and will be available for playback on our website about 48 hours after the show ends. You can also find it on any of the podcast distribution sites like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. So if you have to leave early, you can return to our website or any of the podcast platforms at your convenience and listen to the recording at any time. If you're out and about on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, we'd sure appreciate it if you'd share our podcast. And when you do, use the hashtag AskAboutFlyFishing, and also hashtag FlyFishing. In fact, if you have a moment, do it right now and let other people know about the great show we're having take place tonight. The content of this broadcast is copyrighted and is the property of the Knowledge Group Bank doing businesses ask about fly fishing. When we return, we'll be talking with Steve Ramirez about casting forward, onward, and seaward. Whether you want to catch your first permit in Belize, tame a giant tarpon in the Florida Keys, or wrestle a mint bright Atlantic salmon in eastern Canada, Gill's Fly Fishing International's well-traveled booking team has the knowledge to make it happen. They consider trust to be the single most important aspect of their work. They only book locations that they know, meaning proven operations, providing the right mix of great fishing, comfortable accommodation, and high integrity. Get in touch today to start planning your next fly fishing adventure. Visit flyfishinginternational.com or call them at 780-665-4943. Again, that's flyfishinginternational.com or call them at 780-665-4943. Before we introduce Steve, we'd like to let you know about the great prizes we have to give away tonight. For our drawing tonight, we'll be giving away a one-year membership to Fly Fishers International and a one-year membership to Trout Unlimited. Now, if you haven't registered yet for the drawing, you can do so now. Just go to our homepage at askaboutflyfishing.com and look for the link under Steve's section that says register for our free drawing. Click on that link, fill out the form, and we'll announce the winners at the end of the show. We'll also be giving away a copy of one of Steve's book, either Casting Forward or Casting Onward, courtesy of Lions Press. To learn more about Lions Press, go to their website at lionspress.com. Here's how you can win. You must be the first person to answer the question we ask at the end of the show. The question will be about something that Steve and I talk about during the show. You must submit your answer along with your name and location using the text box on our homepage. It's the same text box you can use during the show to ask questions. So listen closely, take lots of good notes, pay attention, type fast, and maybe you'll be the lucky winner of one of uh, Steve Ramirez's books, Casting Forward or Casting Onward. Our guest tonight is Steve Ramirez. Steve is an outdoor and conservation author who lives and writes in the Texas Hill Country. Steve's first book, Casting Forward, Fishing Tales from the Texas Hill Country, has received critical acclaim and is in its third hardcover printing. He has since published Casting Onward and is working on his latest book, Casting Seaward. His work has appeared in various journals, including Fly Fishing Magazine, 
Trout Magazine, The Fly Fishing Journal, American Angler, Hallowed Waters Journal, Tail Magazine, Texas Sporting Journal, Explore Magazine, Under Wild Skies, Cutthroat Journal of the Arts, and the Houston Literary View, and many more. Steve serves as the ambassador for Texas for the American Museum of Fly Fishing, is a life member of Trout Unlimited, and is a contributing member of the Nature Conservancy, Audubon, and Native Fish Coalition. As a certified master naturalist, Steve is passionately involved in promoting the restoration and conservation of the watersheds, rivers, canyons, forests, deserts, wetlands, grasslands, and shorelines of North America and beyond. He is an avid hiker and world adventure traveler who has explored four continents, but who has also seems to return home to the spring-fed hill country streams of Texas. Steve lives near Comfort, Texas. Welcome, Steve, to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio. Well, thank you. It's so great to be here. Thank you for asking me. Yeah, good good to have you. And always fun to talk to uh, another fly fisher <laughs> and author. It is. Yeah. We got lots of good questions tonight to go through and talk about your writing and your philosophy and your conservation and what you think about all those things. Let's just dive in. First, tell us who Steve Ramirez is. We got a picture of you in the bio, but I'd like you to dig a little bit deeper, give us a little bit more of your background and, you know, kind of what your journey's been to where you are today. Okay. Well, I was listening to that bio and I thought, wow, who is that guy? Um, so, <laughs> There's more to it than know, that, uh, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm just, so I could say I'm just me. I am, uh, and we, we have talked before offline here, and I describe myself as a writer who fishes. And I guess the best I'll say this is, first of all, I'm definitely a father and a husband and hopefully a really good friend. And then on top of that, all the things you said that I'm involved in currently, and this is the best part of my life. I've found that as I start reaching out to more and more anglers and outdoors people, I am finding the best people of my life, the best friends of my life. If you want oh. background, I grew up, basically, Texas is my home. I have lived in all around the world. I have lived in Europe and in Africa and traveled four continents, but Texas is home. Part of my life, I grew up on the edge of the Everglades before it was largely drained and replaced, but this is home, and the Texas Hill Country is very special to me. I served for a number of years as a U.S. Marine, and I have a total of 35 years behind me in dealing with what I say is some of the, the worst of humanity, mm. uh, and both as a Marine and in the criminal justice system and in Homeland Security functions, I've had a whole different life where I spent 35 years of being armed and trying to protect people from those who are armed. And, and I have to tell you that I'm really thrilled to be have that behind me. It was I'm glad I served, but I'm I'm glad that now I'm going fishing with people. Yeah. Uh, so so that's the snapshot of that part. When you, but the other part I would share is even from childhood, and it's, it's touched on and casting forward quite a bit, nature has saved my life and has been, I was always the kid to run out into the woods to get out of the house and not come back until I had to and just enjoy being outdoors. And I'm still that kid at 61 years old. <laughs> so, 
That's who Steve Ramirez is. Well, thank you for your service. It sounds like hard and maybe not very enjoyable work that you did, but when you were doing that work, or even as a child, did you ever imagine yourself writing books and doing all the article writing that you've been doing? Or is this something that kind of bloomed after you got out of all that prior work? I, I've written since I was a kid in the way that I journaled. And when people tell me they're interested in becoming writers, I ask them, do you journal? And if they say yes, I say, well, you're on your way right there. And even in the time in the Marine Corps and all the other things that I did, I did write. But this is different. Uh, this is the writing I've always wanted to do. And in Casting Forward, I certainly allude to it that I simply got to a point where I said, okay, I've done this, and I'm, I am done. And I walked away from it, and I decided I was going to start writing that first book and fish all 21 rivers in the Texas Hill Country with my daughter, and it was one of the greatest things I've ever done. It changed my life in a very good way. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it hurts yeah. as well. So while well, I've always felt that writing is important, now I get to write what I want, and I think I've mentioned to you before that I'm very fortunate to have the publisher I have, Lions Press, and the editor I have, because <laughs> the books you read are the ones I wrote. They don't make me change anything. I even get to, to do a whole lot about designing the cover. It's really a beautiful experience. So yeah, yeah. I'm passionate. I, my biggest tough time, Roger, is right now after I've finished the third book in this series so far, Casting Seaward, and I'm thinking, okay, what am I doing now? That's the toughest time because I've, I've got to write. Mm, yeah, you're driven. Huh? Yeah. Well, what's luckily, the, luckily, uh, luckily I'm, I'm what is fly fishermen so yeah what does fishing mean to you you've chosen fishing as the the connecting sport or activity that connects you to the other things in your life well why now you're like you're a naturalist we could talk about looking at trees or flowers or rocks why fishing what makes it special to you and why do you use it to connect to your experiences and your thoughts and your philosophies? Well, I'm a very strange person in that I think in metaphor and poetry. I have always thought like that. And to me, fly fishing in particular, fishing in general, but fly fishing in particular, is a wonderful poetic metaphor for learning in life. I think it starts really with, for all the hardship that I knew as a kid, I had a wonderful father. And that was our bond, was going fishing together. And then I passed it on to my daughter. I can't think there's a, a better gift you can give to a kid than take them fishing and teach them about nature and themselves and life. So for me, there's something very special about, and I was always getting in trouble as a kid because I was always getting in the water and Dad wanted me to stay dry. And now I can just stand in the water whenever I want to, which is all the time. So to try to answer your question, to me, the act of fly fishing has layers and layers, or any kind of fishing. I'll say intimacy. I have to know that stream. I have to know how to read the water. I have to picture. I, I, am, I have actually put mask and snorkel on and jumped in and 
I want to see what it's like down there. I want to experience it. And I'm the same with saltwater fishing as well. I fished a beach and then jumped in to see what I was missing. I think the whole experience is, pardon the pun, but immersive. And it's also one of the only things I can think of that takes my mind off of all the things that can drag us down. You know what I mean? Mm. When I'm fishing, I'm completely connected. And that's all I'm thinking about. I think it's beautiful. And yeah, I think uh, <laughs> I've talked to a lot of people, guests on my show and friends, and, and I think that's something we all agree on is once we're on the water, everything else in life seems to disappear. Any problems, any business, you know, family issues, whatever, kind of all disappears, and you're just there on the water. And it's, it's a nice calming feeling. I know exactly what you're talking about there. Was your writing affected by your previous work, or is that, I mean, yes. is there any connection there at, at all? Yeah. Oh, yes. Okay. So I, I know you've read Casting Forward, and I don't hide my struggles with PTSD, which everybody assumes comes only from the Marine Corps, but it does not. I mean, I spent 30 years as a as a peace officer and in other functions working in counterterrorism. And I also, I had a wonderful father, but I, I also experienced uh, some brutality, not from him, as a child. And that all has transformed itself into part of my philosophy, which I also think fly fishing and being in nature is a, a great connection. So yes, I can say that I've seen some real brutality and it all taught me the same thing, that we are, we can be the result of our choices rather than our circumstances. And I think in my writing, hopefully people are seeing that what I am doing is being very honest, very open, very uh, raw. And I love it when someone reads my book and writes to me and says, this really touched my heart or I needed to hear that right then. In a way, I'm hoping that the person reading it feels like they're fishing with me. I want them to mm -hmm. feel the pull of the water. I want them to feel the sunshine or the rain. I want them to have that experience with me. My past actually has caused me to seek out what's good in the world because I've seen so much that's bad. Yeah, yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it, yeah it sure does. It, You're, um, yeah, yeah. That's exactly right. I'm seeking out, you know, good folks like you. You just mentioned choices, and that was one of the things that I wrote down here in my notes in reading Casting casting Forward, because I connected with that because it's a kind of the same belief that I have, you know, that everything is a choice. And right. a lot of people don't agree with us on that. They say, well, I didn't have a choice in this. And, yeah, doing nothing is a choice, right? <laughs> You right. know, so uh, that is a choice, too. If you decide not to do anything, well, that's a choice. But, yeah, it's – do you want to speak to your philosophy on that? I mean, I'm just going to interject in mine, but I think that's an important thing for people to think about. I think so, too. There's a passage I'm going to butcher right now because I don't have it in front of me in Casting Forward that actually has ended up in the movie that I'll be going to the premiere of next week. And the general gist of this is that I have learned so much about life from trout. And part of what I 
described there is that trout know that they need to keep swimming, that they swim into the current, and if they are patient and if they find their niche in the river, that everything they need is going to come to them. I learn metaphorically a lot from fishing, and I would have to say that, you know, good things happen, bad things happen. And the only way I've been able to survive all the things I've experienced was to simply say, okay, that's part of life. Now what are you going to do with it? And it's a much better place to be than being a victim. And when people tell me yeah. I have no choice, yeah. well, we always, we always have a choice in how we react to something. It may, you know, and the Marine Corps used to say, brace the suck. <laughs> and, mm. uh, and there's some truth to that. So suck, like, huh? Okay, well, this, this is going to be tough. This is going to be tough. And then once you've accepted that, you move on. Mm-hmm. And the, the flip side of that is you can, you know, whine about it. <laughs> and it just makes you feel worse. So yeah. I've never had a bad day fishing. That's a good example right there. I know some people say, oh, the fishing was terrible. No, it wasn't. The catching might you may not have caught anything. Yeah, I've never had. Yeah. I've never had a bad day fishing ever, ever, ever. Yeah, never, never. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I'd agree with that. So I think, uh, yes, well, I think it's really important to be empowered, and uh, we can all feel like we're tossed aside. I always think about it here in Texas. We say we have two seasons: drought and flood, and we're <laughs> we've been in drought for a long, long time, and mm. but the. Uh, when we have floods, I mean, I'm not making this up. It puts cows in trees, and it's we really have floods. And I've always wondered, you know, how do these fish manage that? Well, that's kind of like life, you know. Sometimes it floods, and mm-hmm. uh, we we, yeah. we roll with it for a while, and then after we're done, we find a new spot. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <how> I think. <laughs> <laughs> no, I totally totally agree with you. Yeah, we're dealt, uh, you know, different hands of cards as we go through life. And, you know, I believe you make the best of them and, yeah, just get on with it, right? Yeah, I mean, some things you can't avoid and you just have to move through and it'll be over. You'll get through it. So uh, there's always something on the other side to look forward to. Let's take a quick break, Steve, and then I'll come right back and... And we'll dig, uh, start talking about those first two books that you've published. I'd like to learn more about your approaches and, and what's in those books. So we'll be right back. Uh, just give me uh, half a minute, and we'll be back in touch. Musky Town is so much more than a musky fly shop. Whether you're a musky fly fishing guy, an experienced musky hunter, or just getting into predators on the fly, wherever life's adventures take you, Musky Town's proven lineup helps you be more successful on the water. They have rods, reels, lines, and flies for muskie, pike, and bass. Most of their flies are tied in-house, and they fish them at every possible opportunity so they know what works, why it works, and exactly what you need to put big fish in the net. Sit back, relax, enjoy legendary fly shop service, and please let them know if there's ever anything they can help you with. Next time you think of muskie, go to Muskie Town. That's muskytown.com, or call them at 763 763- 312-6012. That's muskytown.com or call them at 763-312-6012. You're listening to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio and we're talking to Steve Ramirez about casting forward, onward, and seaward. If you'd like to ask Steve a question, go to our homepage at askaboutflyfishing.com 
and send us your question. Just use that Q&A text box there and send it on over. We'll see if we can't get it answered. Well, Steve, I always ask my guests, you know, what's going on in your fly fishing world? I know from our previous talk that you just finished your third book, right? Casting Seaward. Is that Correct. at the publisher now? Yeah. It, it is. So, it's, it's actually being formatted and will be out on April 1st. April Fool's Day. I think it's perfect. Jeez. So that makes like three books in three years here, right? In about four years, yes. Yeah. Roughly wow. That's, that's, that's quite the accomplishment, I think. Now, not tell easy. us about... It's not easy. <laughs> it's not easy. Uh, it's lo- not easy to do it. what you love, huh? <laughs> yeah. Tell us about, you know, let's start at the beginning. Casting Forward is quite a different book than Casting Onward, I found. And Casting Seaward, well, I'll have to wait and see. <laughs> but uh, tell us why Casting Forward, you know, why that book, that content, and why, why you put it together like that? Sure, absolutely. So to start with, I'll give you the backstory on this, having worked in government in various capacities. Anybody who has, and especially if you've been in a senior capacity, you know that sometimes things change, budgets change, and suddenly something you've worked on for three, four, five years just vanishes and becomes unfunded, and that certainly happened to me something I was very passionate about, and it's, it's happened more than once. It's part of working in the governmental sector. And on the last time that it did, I drove home and kind of knew that I just didn't want to do this anymore. And uh, But I wasn't sure what was next. And that was about the time my daughter had just finished her bachelor's degree and had done some time working down in Peru and came back up home to Texas, and she said, you know, Dad, when I've been studying for the last four years, I've decided I don't want to do that, and I don't know what I'm going to do next. And I was in a part of my life where I thought, I want to go in a different direction, too. And so I said to her, our plan is we have no plan. You and I are going to go (laughs) fishing, and we're going to go fishing until we figure it out. We're going to fish the entire Texas Hill Country that you've grown up in and you love and I love, and we're just going to work it out. And we did. Casting Forward is um, a very intimate story of just me and my daughter or me alone, and this is something that surprises a lot of people. Up until I wrote Casting Onward, I had never had another fishing partner besides my father when I was a kid and my daughter when I was an adult. I've never fished with wow. anyone else with myself. I know that's unusual. I'd all have yeah. fished alone. Yeah. So this is, that's why these are very different books, too. At that point in Casting Forward, I'm still struggling with PTSD. It has not left me, but I'm, I'm much better than I was. And I don't think it ever leaves you. It, it, you just have to learn to teach it to be a friend on your shoulder. Uh, mm-hmm. But I was really struggling, and this approximately year I spent with my daughter traveling around the Texas Hill Country and not just fishing, studying about it, becoming a Texas National Naturalist Leisure, learning everything from the soil to the water to the trees to the birds. It was a life-changing experience in so many ways. It told me all the things I loved and all the things I never wanted to do again. 
And during that time, I was I was turning down offers from people that knew that I was available in my former life. And I just said, I don't want to do this anymore. I just, I, I want to be happy. Poor, yeah. but happy. Yeah. <laughs> Poor. <laughs> just to walk away from the, you know, the, the big the salary and the, the benefits. But it was the best walk away I've ever done. And, yeah, uh, yeah. And so the story behind Casting Forward is that, and I wrote it for multitude of reasons. One is other people are walking the same journey. I mean, when we're in our life, we think we could become the center of our world, of course. But there's been billions of faces before us that laughed and that cried. And I knew that other people would be out there, whether they be veterans like me or others, we're going through some of the same struggles. I mean, there would be other people that have young children that they're trying to help through their times. And I think telling stories, telling stories is how we connect. And it's really been, I've mentioned to you, it's been really wonderful for me to hear from people to say that really helped me. So I hope that's a pretty good, and so guessing forward is me and sometimes my daughter, and we're traveling all over the Texas Hill Country, and as I'm sure you've seen, I don't just write the story. The story brings you along, but I'm teaching about the place, the culture, the barbecue, the music. I want the reader to have this experience with me. And as you said, casting, so that's the focus of Texas Hill Country, casting onward, which came out April, well, it's supposed to come out April 1st of 2022 because of COVID. It was pushed to May 1st of 2022. Also Lions Press. And that's where I simply decided, and by the way, I'll say to readers, to listeners rather, if I ever thought about the details of the things I set my off, myself off on, I would never do them. It would, it would seem overwhelming. So I said to myself, I'm going to travel all over America, and I'm going to meet people I've never met before and go stay with them in their hometown, in their homeland, and fish with them in their home waters and follow only native trout. Well, native fish. It wasn't just trout, but native fish in their native waters. And see what I could learn. Do you want me to keep going? Yeah, yeah. No, you're doing it's, fine. Uh, yeah. So, and I have to tell you, that's why Casting Always is going to have a different feel. I've written these three books in this series so that they all are connected. They have certain things very much in common, but they're not replicas of each other. So casting onward, where the first one is very much about the individual's solitude, the, the solitary journey, or just you and one other person that you know well. Casting onward is about getting very much outside of your comfort zone, flying out, traveling out, driving many miles, and meeting with people for the first time, and often, I found, making my best friend in my lifetime. Mm, uh, yeah. And... And that's another thing I'm hoping people experience when they read Casting Onward is, wow, in this world of e-isolation and the other kind of isolations we put ourselves through, we don't have to. So I took the e-world on purpose and turned it on its head. I met people over the e-world, and the next thing I knew, we were in West Virginia fishing together. Or we're in Montana fishing together. Or, you get what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and you know what? More times than not, it was like we were old friends because we had certain things in common from the get-go. 
Yeah. Uh, and my idea here too on another layer with both these books and then the third one is I really want to help anglers, outdoors people of all types, and people that don't even involve themselves in any consumptive art outdoors, you know, hikers, rock hounds, whatever. I want to get us to pay more attention and see the world that we love so much and why, and that it's not really a resource, it's, it's a gift, it's a treasure. And just accidentally learning things as they read. So, you know, they're going on a fishing trip with me in the ocean, but what they're really learning about is a kind of shark they never heard of before. And they're hopefully having a lot of fun while they're learning it, because I really love it when people tell me this made me laugh out loud when I read it. Um, yeah, I did notice with uh, casting onward your stories there, you know, you're fishing with a particular person for looking for a particular kind of fish. But many times you didn't catch much. But the point is, is I'm not criticizing you. I'm just getting to the point is that the, the whole chapter was the journey. And that's what life is many times about. It's the journey. It's not, you know, the prize at the end, so to speak. I've had many a hard day on the saltwater fishing for permit and stuff and fish all day and got nothing, you know, and it just, Right. Super hard fishing, but I had a great day, <laughs> you know. Right. So, uh, and I've had yeah. days where I'm catching them like crazy. I've had I've had days where I'm catching so many fish that I just stop. I snip off the fly and I just sit there and enjoy the river for a while. I feel okay. Right. Yeah. right. <laughs> the fish have had enough. But well, we've mentioned our mutual friend Kurt Beater, and I went out and, and went down the Yampa River with Kurt. And it was just a wonderful time. And as you, I know you've looked at that one and you know what happened. Yeah. And I'm looking for native fish and on this particular river, there really aren't any native fish left. And Kirk kind of says to me, gee, I'm sorry, we didn't find any cutthroats. Well, if we did, they wouldn't be pure anyway because they'd be crossing with rainbows. And I said, well, Kirk, that is the story. I'm not here to create a story. I'm here to find out what it is. And the story, sometimes when I go to a river that's supposed to be full of a native species, I find out they're all gone. There's fish there, I'm catching them, but I'm catching not what I, not what should be in that river. Right. You know, according to nature. So you're right. I write how it happens, including if I fall in the water and make a fool of myself. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, We've all done that. <laughs> that's what I was going to say. If we're all honest, we've all had those times where we're just casting beautifully. I think I put this in, in casting forward. And you're casting beautifully. You're having a perfect day. Every cast is landing where you want it. And then a family of four stops on the bridge to watch you, and suddenly you look a tree. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think that humanity part is part of what we do. You know, sometimes you fall in the water. And sometimes yeah. you have sometimes you have a twenty fish day or a thirty fish day and sometimes you get a no fish day. But I've never had a bad day fishing. So um, yeah. I guess I'll I'll take up the last one, casting seaward. That is complete. It is it is being put into into form right this moment at the publisher to uh, come out in April. And uh, that's another one where it was a very big task. And the task was to go from Alaska down the California coast, the Gulf of Mexico, Caribbean, Florida, all the way up to Montauk, New York. 
and write wow. about and write about our salt and brackish waters. And you know when I wrote that just it came to I wrote when I'm catching so many fish my arms are sore and I wrote the days where everything just went bad. And when I mean bad, you know I don't mean bad. I mean, yeah. this week we yeah. just, you we just didn't catch any fish. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we caught a lot of fish no. and we just rejected and whatever else. And, yeah. and I think we've all experienced that day where the guy you're flying with said, you know, I caught 30 here last week. <laughs> right, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. But I, I want it to be, so yeah, if I'm struggling to get up the mountain in Alaska, then people hear that I struggle. I don't hide anything. I put it out there because that's real life. That's the way it is. Yeah. 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 So uh, what I have your, to say I'm pleased with all three. Is uh, casting seaward going to be similar to casting uh, onward then in the way of working with people you're fishing with, telling stories yeah. about people you're fishing with? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So I, yeah. I, I noticed that your next guest is Matt Miller, Nature Conservancy. Yeah. Yeah. And he's a dear friend. Love that guy. Everybody should listen. And he, he isn't casting onward. Uh, I went up oh, to he is. Idaho this week. He isn't casting onward. And he is, uh, this, there's another great example. I flew up to Idaho. We have been communicating for quite some time back and forth. We've talked on the phone. I flew up and went fishing together and just had a great time and hit it off. And we've been good friends ever since. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And so yes, casting seaward, I'm doing the same thing. Sometimes with people that I got to know during casting onward, and we're reconnecting. Mm-hmm. And sometimes with people that I've I'd never met before that time, and and some of them have become some of my best friends. It's been really weird, Roger. I told you before casting forward, I didn't have any friends to fish with. And just your best friend. <laughs> just my best friend, huh? my daughter. Yeah, yeah. She's now 5,000 miles away. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, but now I've met so many wonderful people, and I connect with them all the time. And I jump yeah. on a plane any day to get with any of them. Yeah, it's. So, um, I'm not fortunate enough to go meet with a lot of the people that I meet, but, you know, through Ask About Fly Fishing, I think I've interviewed, I don't know, 275 people, maybe more, uh, and got to know them through these interviews like I'm getting to know you. And, yeah, it's just incredible, the the people that are out there in the fly fishing world. And from all different places, from all different walks of life, but that's the one thing that kind of ties us all together, you know. Yeah, it's all good. Let me take another quick break here, Steve, and we'll come right back and continue on. So uh, we'll, uh, we'll be right back. Enrico Puglisi flies pride themselves with creating unique and one-of-a-kind flies and fly-tying material. Enrico has been experimenting with durable synthetic and natural materials to create flies that catch fish for more than 20 years. His innovative products, including brushes, fibers, and components, have made a major impact on the direction of saltwater fly fishing, and his methods and materials are respected worldwide. Whether you want your flies hand-tied for you or you'd like to tie your own, be sure to visit Enrico Puglisi Flies and browse through their online catalog. Visit epflies.com and do a little shopping today. Again, that's epflies.com. You're listening to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio. We're talking with Steve Ramirez about casting forward, onward, and seaward. If you'd like to ask Steve a question, just go to our homepage at askaboutflyfishing.com. 
and send us your question. We'll try to get it answered. Steve, one thing I meant to ask you before on the last break is, you know, how do people get a hold of you? What's your website address so people can kind of follow you, see what you're up to, and follow your journeys? Thank you. My website is simply steveramirezauthor.com. Very easy, steveramirezauthor.com. And okay. uh, I am also on Instagram as steveramirezauthor. And those are two good ways to get in touch with me. And I and to see what I'm doing, where I'm traveling to, what I'm writing about next. Great right. places. Uh, yeah, that, those are the two best places. Okay. Okay, great. A few things about your writing I wanted to ask you, and then I want to kind of get into talking about conservation, restoration, things like that, because I know that's a big, big topic that you like to explore. When you write, do you make notes on your trips, knowing you'll write about it later? Do you record? Do you write from just total memory? How do you organize your writing? That's a great question. As far question. as the research. It's a great question. I do take notes. I, uh, I have uh, spent not just a little bit of money down at uh, REI picking up the waterproof notebooks, <laughs> and, and I do things pretty much. I do things pretty much the old-fashioned way. I do write notes often as soon as I'm done. Occasionally, when I'm out there, just having a notepad in my pack. But normally, I'm immersing myself in the experience when I'm out there, and as soon as I'm back at the room or wherever I'm going to be in the cabin, wherever I'm at, the tent, I'm scribbling notes and, and, and reliving it. And so I do write those notes, and then I rewrite them after I've come back from a trip so that they actually make sense. Because, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, sometimes, if, you know, you're in Alaska in a rainstorm, it doesn't always make sense what you scribbled down. And, and after that, I also do a lot of research. So... When I'm writing, I'm going to have my notes and my research with me. My actual writing process is much more poetic than that. I let it flow. I do not allow myself to edit myself at all. I kind of know where I'm going, but sometimes it just takes its own. And what I'm really doing is reliving an experience and then inserting where I need to information in a way it's storytelling. I'm not writing any how-to. I'm not qualified for that. And so, yes, I do take detailed notes, and they wouldn't, they're notes about things that to me matter. It may be about the fishing. It may be about the trees, the way the rain fell. It may be about the way I fell. And it can also just be about how great the barbecue was or a funny mm -hmm. sign that right. I And Because that's, that's all the experience. Often I travel somewhere else. I, first thing I say to my new friend is, let's go someplace and eat something that is quintessentially here. You know, that, tell me what's the thing you love about where you're from. So that's, that's how I write. I, I could travel with you. That'd be... <laughs> I have a really dear friend that lives up in Boston, and one day she said to me, she said, you're kind of like the Tony Bourdain of fly fishing. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, Got your mouth open and your hand out, right? Yeah. Well, uh, I'm I'm trying to just learn. Yeah, I just I want to really yeah. hear what people have to say. I used to do uh, training across the country, and I'd be going to all the major cities: Chicago, New York, you know, uh, Philadelphia, all the and all these places, Dallas, Houston. 
And I used to, I'm a real foodie, and so I'd watch the Food Channel, and, and they'd highlight some restaurant or some chef in some city, you know. So I'd write that down in my notebook. <laughs> the next trip I go to Chicago, I'm at that restaurant <laughs> checking it out, you know. And it was, it was a lot of fun. It had nothing to do with my training I was doing or anything. It was just like you. Part of the journey was uh, checking the sure. food out at those, those places. So I can relate to you about that. Does writing energize or exhaust you? Energize. Energize. Um, writing keeps me alive. I mean, it's really that true. It, writing keeps, I don't think I could stop writing. If I'm still able to move at my last breath, I'll be writing when I do at that moment. So, no, I, I'm energized by writing, and I actually have trouble when I, like I said, I heard that I read somewhere that Michael Crichton would go on depression in between books. Uh, oh, I really? Yeah. I don't go into depression, but there's a definite gap in my life in between hmm. projects. And yet I'm still writing. In my social yeah. media, I'm still, I'm still writing. Uh, I, the, one of the uh, exercises I've done in the past, I'm not doing so much anymore, but on my Facebook page, I used to start every morning by simply pulling a sentence or an idea, and I would write. 800 words to start my morning and post it on Facebook for anybody who wanted to read it. That was my startup. Yeah, yeah. We have a question that came in on the Internet here from Fred in Denver. Please. What's your sense as to why you feel that you, quote, have to write? Well, it kind of feels like breathing to me. I think that the best reason I could say is because it gives me joy. Mm-hmm. Like fishing, like fishing. I mean, I'd be pretty sad about my life if fishing disappeared from it. Like, this is me being poetic and how I think. It's like the songbirds outside my window. I'd be really sad if there weren't birds there anymore. For me, writing is like the birds. It's like music. It just really adds to my life, and I enjoy it. And it helps me explore and learn and grow. So... I know a lot of people say, well, I'm going here because I'm going after bonefish. But I'm going after a whole lot more than bonefish when I go. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, yeah. I'm going for the whole experience of it. And writing to me is my way sharing with people. I think I really love the sharing. I don't care if anybody focuses on me whatsoever, or that they don't. I want them to see something in the words. I want, mm-hmm. to, I want them mm-hmm. to see themselves. So that's what it is. For me, it's a feeling of giving and sharing. And for me, I can say that the world seems much more distant in a lot of ways than it was when I was younger. We're separated a lot. Neighborhoods aren't as close as they used to be. And writing is a way that I reach people, and they reach me. I hope that makes sense. Sure, sure. Thanks. Great question. Do you have a yeah? Uh, do you have a set schedule for writing? Do you have a favorite place you write? Yes, I am sitting there actually. So I have this. I'm sitting at my kitchen table. That's my favorite place to write. Oh wow! <laughs> I have I have an actual writing den that I put. There's so many great things in my den. I've got stones and bits of things that I've collected all over the world where I've traveled to Africa and Europe, South America. I've got memories from my hunting in Africa and, you know, and all kinds of things in that room. But the truth is I like sitting here at my kitchen table and looking at the birds 
in the backyard, just like when I was a kid. And that's my favorite place to write. Mm. Sometimes I take my computer and I'll go out to a park and just sit out under a tree and write. But yeah, quite nothing exciting, nothing. It's just me at my kitchen table looking at the birds and writing. And as for my pattern, yes, I do. I do my best writing in the morning. And for me, you say, you know, three books in about four years, that's a lot of work, I can tell you. But it's a labor of love. I get up in the morning, that's my job. When I'm, now you have to have something to write about. So part of the times you're not writing, you're traveling. You're mm-hmm. doing, and you're putting notes. But when I sit down to write, I will write, I guess kind of Hemingway-esque, I'll write from early morning until noon. And about then, you start to slow down. Time for lunch. (laughs) (laughs) And so, and I will have lunch. And then after lunch, then I'll switch over to research mode. And I'll Mm. spend an hour or two on research. And I may be researching sand fleas. I may be researching, you know, mole crabs, the same thing. I may be researching coral. I may be researching bonefish. Right. Or I do. So I'll do researching for a couple of hours. And. I may either go back and, and do editing on my writing, but usually I don't. I let it sit. I like to, to leave editing to later because I always share with people, say, well, I want to start writing. I say, well, just don't edit yourself while you're writing. Don't question yourself. Mm-hmm. Go with the flow. Come back later and edit. And then good, you'll edit good again. Tip. And edit yeah. again and edit again. Yeah, a lot of – I just tried for the first time – Google Docs has a talk-to-text feature that I didn't know about that's just included in the in the application where you open up a doc like you would any other doc to write and turn it on and you just start talking and it starts typing it all out. And talking about freeform, you know, without editing, it's really easy. It's kind of a new discovery for me, but I think a lot of people write that way just to keep kind of the flow going and not be encumbered by actually writing or typing kind of thing. So I thought that was interesting. That is um, very interesting. In the notes you sent me before the show, you said that one of your one of the books that inspired you was Sapiens. And yes. that kind of that interests me because I've now listened to that on Audible twice. <laughs> it's not a short book. <laughs> no, it's not. I've, and read I, all, I've read all three of his books. Yeah, yeah, incredible stuff. What was it about Sapiens that inspired you? How did it affect your writing? Sapiens affect my writing and my life, and some of it was teaching me new things, and some of it was just confirming things as I thought. And I would say there's many great nuggets in there, but one of the most important ones to me is that we can ask the question of what makes humans so different from other creatures that are a part of the, you know, the group Animalia. It's really easy for us to forget that we're basically just biological creatures, posable thumbs, and sometimes not a lot of wisdom. So, and <laughs> what he gets into there, you know, is that it's stories. It's fiction. We have the ability to create fiction, and sometimes very wonderfully and sometimes very sadly, we have the ability to turn the fiction into what we will call truth. Money is fiction. Nation states are actually fiction. I mean, money isn't real. We, we just all agree to it. 
there's a lot. I mean, it isn't. I mean, it's two pieces of parchment. One has a design on it that says $100, and one has a design that says $1. So we all agree that they have a different value, but they're the same piece of parchment and ink. And yep. um, now the flip side, and we can use that fiction to do some very mean things to each other and to the earth. But why I think that's so powerful is we can write a new fiction. We can write a new fiction where we are the best version of ourselves. I think what he touches on there is the way we move society forward, for good or for bad, is the fictions we write and then we accept. So that's why that book really touched mm-hmm. me. So when you see that there was about eight different species of hominoids living roughly at the same time, and we're the only ones that survived. Yeah, uh, yeah. So far, so far. And the one thing that you were talking about with the money has to do with trust. And the only reason that money works is because we trust that it will work. But it's really <laughs> right. a figment of our imagination. <laughs> all all uh, but, of it is uh, a figment of our imagination when you yeah. really think about so, uh, corporations. Or, or corporations, yeah. Yeah. There's so yeah. many things we can go down and say, well, you know, that's not real. It's just something we yeah. all agree to pretend it's real. And that's so it right. yeah. And we need, we yeah. need those things. I mean, a clock time is a figment of our imagination. I know I'm getting really deep here, but it's a figment. It, yeah. it works for us. We need it. You know, so we know yeah. the time to yeah, yeah. those stuff. Yeah, I was just kind of curious because I really enjoy his writing and then Homo Deus, you know, the, the sequel to that. And right. we've got a third one. I must I missed the third one, I guess. Um, it's the 21 lessons for the 21st century. Oh, okay. I'll have to look that one and, uh, that one too. I've enjoyed all his books, but certainly Sapiens is the most powerful to me. And yeah. if we pay attention to that, I mean, think of the, the powerful things we can do if we all just get on board with some better stories. And that's what I exactly. try to do also yeah. in the writing, by the way. I'm trying to write a better story. I'm not hiding yeah. from the yeah. dark stuff. I had 35 years of carrying an Uzi or a shotgun or a pistol and, or an M16 and... I know about the dark stuff. I'm not trying to hide from yeah. that. Yeah. But, uh, We've got some questions here I want to try to hit quickly from the okay. audience. Rick in Ohio says, in all your travels, what was the most challenging species you fished for? Uh, Rick, that is a great question. And I think before I did casting seaward, sea I would have struggled with that answer. But now that I've done casting seaward, it's easy for me. And that would be Corbina on the coast of Southern California. Really? You still there? Oh, hold on, folks. I just lost him. I'm going to have to call him back. Hold on, folks. I'll be right back. Hey, Roger. Yeah, you dropped off on us, so we're back. Yeah, um, well, I, purposeful. Uh, so <laughs> I hope you entertained everyone while I was gone. Uh, <laughs> yeah, they heard the phone dial. Yeah, so Corbina, that's interesting because I've been trying to get a hold of this guy that's supposed to be an expert in that in uh, San Diego, and it's really caught my interest. So that's interesting that you mentioned that. I've never fished for them, but uh, they're tough, huh? I can't wait to do it again. Uh, yeah. there's, a, there's a good example where I spent two days going after Corbina uh, 
uh, not that long ago and uh, really put some time in 12 hours a day but two days in a row and we none of us caught corbina on those two trips i mean we've caught corbina other times uh, as, as my group that i fish with they're very challenging and i just absolutely love trying to catch corbina I, they're amazing fish they, they basically are riding the surf up with their sometimes their backs out of the water and that little tiny bit of water keeping them alive as they ride the surf into danger so that they can eat mole crabs, sand crabs, sand fleas, depending on what part of the country you're in. And they're amazingly difficult to catch. And hmm. I think it's just be, it's basically bonefish that are riding the waves in is how I see them. Yeah, so interesting. I have a, a really dear friend who's really good at it, Kessler Gallagher, and when she was teaching me about Corbina, she said, and she's really good with permits and uh, has quite a few little records under her name, and she said, well, here's the thing, Steve. Permit are tough. Corbina are really tough. <laughs> really? And oh, my God. I love that. Wow. I, and I love the feeling of looking into the waves, waiting for them to appear. And there's all that sand, and it settles, and there they are like ghosts. And you have just seconds to fire off that cast and land it just right. Yeah. And they make yeah, it uh, It's funny because, you know, I've, I've taken my son fishing, and he's older now. He's, what, 44 years old now? And uh, But I took him. The first time I, we went out for tarpon fishing in the Keys, out of Key West, he caught it about 120 pound tarpon. First trip out, wow. one day. Okay, I catch nothing, right? <laughs> so this this year, I took him down to Belize. I've been going down to Belize a lot, and I've been. I, I finally got my tarpon years later, but we were after permits, and we were down there oh about nine days, and we only got into one permit. Guess who caught the permit? My son. <laughs> His Isn't first trip for permit. He gets. I still haven't caught the permit, you know, and it's like, yeah, I mean, I'm always happy for him, but I'm, but, but then I kind of hit, and my head kind of hangs low in the back of the boat for <laughs> a It's like, oh, why can't I be first once in a while? But, uh, yeah, those are, permit are tough. Now, now you tell Corbina's tougher? Oh, man. Uh, well, we shall well, see. I'm going to have to do that. That's what I've been told. Virginia and, yeah, Virginia and South like, Carolina, um, want to know about of all the places that you travel to fish what's the most memorable and why well now that one's tougher for me where i could say corbina right away on challenging species most memorable comes different ways so what i'm going to do to try to answer that virginia is i'm going to tell you some places i've really loved and then i'm going to pick one place that i can't wait to go back to again and again and again well besides for corbina so i have really love so many of the experiences that I've had during this journey. I absolutely have loved fishing for Gila trout in the desert mountains of southwest New Mexico. I mm. love fishing for Apache in Arizona. I've absolutely loved fishing for brook trout in their native waters, at the headwaters of the Potomac. All those things have been great. I've loved going down the St. Croix River with my buddy Bob White going after smallmouth, chasing muskie in, in Wisconsin, and me screwing it up when I got my shot. 
<laughs> all that's been <laughs> yeah. wonderful. All of that has been wonderful. Every single bit of it, bone fishing, Turks and Caicos, my friends there just got hit by the hurricane. So there's a laundry list, but I'm going to tell you, I'm really surprised two places I've fallen in love with is I mentioned Corbina, which is just north of L.A., 12 million people there, and I've had so much fun standing on the beach and forgetting about 12 million people behind me. But my other place that I really love is actually New York, Long Island, New York. I love fishing off Montauk uh, with my buddy David Blinken, and I have to say that's one of my favorite places to fish. I love fishing out of Montauk. Uh, were you great, fishing great. for stripers or blues or bluefish? Yes. What, what were you fishing I've for? Gone mul- I go multiple times of stripers, blues, and albies. Uh, okay. Yeah. And it doesn't hurt that David's one of my favorite people in the world. So we just have a blast. I think the water there is gorgeous. I love that there's so much life. She's just an hour and a half away from New York City. I right. would have right. I would have never guessed of all the places I've been. I mean, I've traveled to the edges of Africa. I really enjoy Long Island. Hmm. So I hope that answered your question, Virginia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's talk about a little bit about the world here and our environment and what's happening. We've got some questions. Uh, Chuck from Placerville, California, wrote in. He said, I recently read about global warming raising water temps in western waters. That is forecasted to have a drastic impact on highly, on highly reducing future trout habitat and populations, especially in Montana rivers. As fly fishers, what can we do? Well, Jack, that's a really important, powerful, important question. I'm so glad you asked it. I've mentioned several times that I've really traveled a lot of the world. I've lived in Europe, lived in Africa, spent time down in South America all across the United States. One thing I'll tell you is that I am as sure as I am of anything, and I don't, I don't think there's much we can be sure of in life, that global warming is a huge, I'm going to say climate change in total, is a absolutely huge, dangerous problem, not only for our fish in the future, but for our own existence. I've seen it again and again in all my travels. I've stood in Peru and talked to Peruvians telling me these mountains in front of us when I was a kid, they were all covered in glaciers, and there's not a single glacier Mm -hmm. left. So getting back to the fish, the first thing what we need to do is as anglers and outdoors people, we need to learn more. We need to open our mind and find out from science what's really going on. The second thing I'd say is, You know, sometimes I know anglers keep little logs. Uh, I did it in the beginning. I don't do it now like that. And they'd write how many fish they got, what species they got. But what you really need to write is more about what else you're seeing in your rivers, in your streams, in your estuaries. What's changing? Write it down from month to month and year to year. Start noticing the birds. Start noticing. You're going to notice that things are changing drastically and quickly. So what can we do about it? Learn more. Spread the word. Join great organizations. I've mentioned that I'm, a, I'm very proudly a life member of Trout Unlimited. There are other organizations in Nature Conservancy. Get involved. And we need to get, this is why I write this as well, I'm hoping more anglers are going to see our fish, our rivers, our streams 
not as resources, but as part of our home. It's our home, and we're killing it. So uh, yeah. it's a great it's a great question. We need to turn hope into an action word, and we're I believe this is just a belief that we are almost out of time. I'm going to give a quick yeah. story. If I, would that be appropriate if I give a quick story to help this out? Sure. Question. So sure. fishing for Apache trout, and I've heard that there's some push to take Apache trout off to delist them. I hope that doesn't happen. Because there's a big difference between planting a bunch of trout in lakes that they never were in and saying, well, we've got Apache trout, or taking, say, uh, California beautiful California native trout and dropping them in a lake in Wyoming and saying, well, we've got those trout, but that's not where they're from. The Apache trout are running up, up the mountain as fast as they can. You know what I mean? They're swimming up as the waters get warmer and warmer and warmer. At a certain point, they can't swim any higher. The same thing's happening with birds. They're moving further and further north, but some of them that already nest in the Arctic, I'm not sure where they're supposed to move next. I think we do have to take this very seriously, and if anglers and we pay attention, you don't even need to look at the science to know that it's happening. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, but the science shows us that it's, in the last 100 years, it's happened much, much quicker than nature can deal with. And people say, well, there's natural, natural changes. Well, of course there have been. But those changes from ice ages to tropical ages happened over millions of years. So it's a difference between slow yeah. changing over and then simply cutting the tap. So, uh, yeah, it's a great question. And I think what we need to do is we need to learn, we need to be, we need to care, and then we need to do something about it. We need to join together and it starts, you know, one drop at a time. So Yeah, yeah there's, a, there's a couple things there that uh, in fact, I was reading the article that Matt Miller wrote in the February-March 2022 Fly Fisherman magazine on Silver Creek, which is what I'm going to be doing on my next show, as you, you said. And one, th one thing I read there is that one way that, uh, you know, Silver Creek is struggling with water, too. The aquifers evidently aren't replenishing enough, and it's like a spring right. creek, right? But they said what they're looking at now is, and I found really interesting, I hadn't thought about it much, but they're looking at the tributaries, the water flowing into Silver Creek. And they're saying, oh, they're too wide, they're too shallow, and there's not enough, I'm just simplifying this, but there's not enough right. vegetation and trees to shade that water. So that water is heating up. And then that right. water runs into Silver Creek, which causes a problem for Silver Creek heating up. And so they're going to go and they're going to narrow those channels, plant trees around there, and hopefully cool that water off coming in. But I looked at that and I said, well, that's really creative, but the fact of the matter is, what do you do after that? Right. <laughs> you know? Right. When you we're putting that, yeah, yeah, I mean, you're putting Band-Aids all over. And one of my good friends and clients, Terry and Wendy Gunn, run uh, these ferry anglers down in the uh, in Arizona, you know, at uh, Glen Canyon, just below Glen Canyon Dam. Well, now they're affected by the warming water in Lake Powell. Right. If that water gets too warm, then the water flowing out is too warm, and the trout won't be able to live. So, you and know, you, as, and if you, did, you're, you nailed it. And if you don't care about the trout, 
Do you care about the fact that a lot of people owning homes in places like Phoenix are going to have a real big problem coming down the road here? <laughs> it's yeah. It's hard to, ask, to live without water. Yeah, not yeah. To mention, not to mention the water is needed to keep all those nuclear rods outside of Phoenix cool. <laughs> I don't want to be yeah. too crazy about this, but when we talk about things like global warming, that term, I like climate change better because it's more complex than that, and there's a difference between weather and people will get outside and say, well, it's, it's cool today. That's weather. Climate is something else. And, um, mm-hmm. and as outdoors people, I think we need to pay attention and we need to get on it really quick because we're not just outdoors people, we're voters. Yeah, um, it's, it's, I think looking at, in some respects, there's maybe some things you can't do anything about. For instance, right. you know, global warming, you know, if it's getting hotter throughout the globe, yeah, well, maybe there's some things we can do about that. But Certainly, like the Colorado River, there's things that could be done. And it's starting from not the source of the Colorado. It's starting at the other end. Like you said, you know, you have to take out lawns. If you want to drink water, you're going to have to take your lawn out, you know, quick water. Golf courses. I'm not a golfer, but it's like, why are there golf courses in Arizona, you know? <laughs> well, I've got to tell you, you know, I, I spent time in Namibia in southwest Africa. And I passed a wonderful golf course in Namibia. <laughs> All they had was little tiny greens in the middle of the desert. Everything else was a sand trap. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. That's true. We're we're going to yeah we're definitely going to have to make changes. And if we don't, for those people who don't believe this, if you live long enough, and I probably won't, we'll find out. Nature's going to make a change for us. We can't sustain eight billion people. But yeah. you can't. Yeah. You yeah. can't just keep if you think about any river you can't and that's what's happening here in the Texas Hill Country, by the way. These are all spring fed rivers in Texas Hill Country. But beside the growing heat, beside that, and beside the desertification line moving east, we also have the problem of the city of San Antonio where I live north of and the city of Austin and other cities that are draining that aquifer. Aquifers. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's we've got a lot of golf courses here. We've got a lot of lawns, and you're exactly right. We've got a lot of swimming pools. You just can't keep doing it. Yeah. But, yeah, because so, we get uh, one of yeah one of the things we've talked about on my shows many times is just kind of my philosophy on things is that I like your friends in South America. You know, I grew up in Alaska in my childhood. And there was a place where we used to stop on the road going down to the Kenai Peninsula from Anchorage. And, and you stop there in the parking lot and you look and there was some, a little bit of water and there was the face of a glacier right there. You're looking at it, you know, right right in front of you. That was in the 19, late 1960s. And when I went back with my son and my father in, I think it was 2000, oh, let's see here. It was, it was just before 2000. And we went back down there. I couldn't even see the glacier. You had to get in a boat and go a mile around the, the valley to find the glacier, which couldn't be seen from the road anymore. And so I personally, in my lifetime, saw the glaciers basically disappear in Alaska. Yeah, it, it's for real. And, yeah, we, we're not all in agreement on how it's all happening, but it is happening. And uh, Right. Yeah. Well, even if we couldn't agree on that, I always say that, I can't believe that the, you know, my, my dad used to say we could put a man on the moon, but 
the country that could put people on the moon in 1969, I cannot believe that we've gotten so small we can't tackle these things and still have a good life. Because I don't yeah. think we're going to have a good life. Well, I don't. I mean, I'm, I'm a, there's not going to be any fishing down the road if we don't. That's what I'm worried about is that we keep having more people on the planet, but the resources haven't changed for millions of years. <laughs> we have no. the same water. Yeah, right. We have, have exactly. the same land masses. You know, that doesn't change. So it's just more people using the same resources. And there's, there's going to be an end to that at some point, or it's going to be a total pay-to-play situation for, you know, I mean, we're going to have to pay to go fly fishing no matter where we go. Because it's gonna, you know. So I, I don't know. I'm not really hopeful. <laughs> I don't know about you, Roger. But I don't really like artificial fishing. I don't really want to go someplace that already exists because someone's pumping water in there and dumping hatchery fish in. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I'd be okay when you're four years old and uh, you've never cooked a fish before. I don't want to go to Alaska and realize that it's all been created artificially now because it's not right. there for real. Yeah. You know, I was just I was up in Alaska for this third book and I saw exactly what you saw. I went to a glacier that used to reach out into the basically a fjord and then there was a waterfall that used to fall right into you probably know what it is, Dagger Falls. And it used to fall right into the glacier and now this falls into open water. Mm-hmm. Uh, that glacier is gone. Yeah. And the interesting thing is mining companies, most of which are not from the United States, they're other, from other countries, but mining companies are making a fortune off of this because they're able to make a claim as soon as that glacier melts. Hmm. So as that ice is melting, they're claiming for gold and silver as fast as they can. That was, that's ka-ching every time a glacier. But that money's not ours. It's not going to get a fish back. It's not going to bring back the elk. It's not going to bring back the deer. Right. So yeah, yeah you read about that. Uh, yeah. This is a pretty touchy question I'm going to ask you, but do you think the world would be better off without humans? I think uh, one thing I write in, I do some repetition in my books, not because I forgot that I said it before, because sometimes I want things to sink in. And I do write often that uh, nature doesn't need us, but we need nature. Mm-hmm. Uh, without without yeah. our connection to nature, we are dead. We are we don't exist. As a matter of fact, we need the sun. We we're just one little tiny cog in the wheel, and unfortunately, we're a cog that is destroying the the same place that gave us birth. Right, um, right. And we we really are. It's I I call it murder suicide, and that's what I think we're doing. So the way I'll answer that question is. If we didn't have nuclear reactors running, if Houston, Texas, not far from me, three hours from me, three and a half hours from me, if it wasn't a giant petrochemical thing that's churning that has to some way be slowly turned off, we didn't have those things going, and and humans vanished, does anybody think the world would miss us? Um, I don't think so. I think the only thing, if it wasn't for the fact that we have all these time bombs running right now, that have to have a human keeping it from completely going awry. I don't think the world would miss us. Now, yeah, it seems like it was. Yeah, I was going to say it. It seems like without us, it's self-balancing. You know, it is. Uh, nature balances itself. You know, born, you know, animals being born and dying and, and so forth is all works out. But we mess with it. 
and then things happen. Right. Yeah, go ahead. It, it goes back to that book, Sapiens. Once we started learning how to create the proper fiction, and then we created communities that were bigger than 90 people, and then we, we get to having mega cities and nation states, and now we're able to, ha we're living longer, we, we have more children, we've outstripped nature. And, uh, but that doesn't mean we can't do something about that if we let maturity and wisdom take over. I shared last night during a, a talk I was doing at a nature center that, uh, and people are going to think this is weird. I don't care. <laughs> One of my marine buddies who's been gone for 20-some years has come to me a number of times in dreams, and yes, I know my mind may just be making it up. But when Dave shows up, he always does the same thing. He shows up in a dream. He, he asks me a question, and he says something profound, and then he's gone. And one time what he did is, well, actually, when I was writing, getting ready to slate, casting forward, he showed up. I'm driving down the road through the desert towards the mountains that I never even close to. And there he is sitting next to me, smiling like he always did. And I said, hey, Dave. And he said, where are you going? Well, I told you what happened that part of my life. I mean, it was like the third or fourth time that, the divisions I was leading just went away because of politics or, or money. And and I said to him, I don't know where I'm going. And he laughed and said, well, you're never going to go anywhere near new if you don't turn the wheel. Mm -hmm. Now, if you think about that, that actually, that little dream is what made me walk away from, I was a college professor at that point, and I was in academia. I loved teaching but did not like academia. And I just went to my boss. It was a special forces colonel that I loved and I said you know I just don't feel the joy anymore it's too much politics not enough learning so I say that story because I think we need to turn the wheel and I just don't want to lose all hope I don't want to believe that we are so small that we can't say you know what we need to, we need to turn the wheel we can make this a beautiful planet again for people and for everyone else, you know, for all the other living things. So uh, it's not Bambi-esque. I mean, I've hunted and killed animals and ate them. I was a Marine. You get what I'm saying, Roger? Yeah, yeah. No, it's... Um, I think it's, I think if they don't work, it's going to be done for us. Yeah. A lot of people, I think, Steve, don't get to appreciate nature in maybe the ways that we do. I mean, this morning... I live about half of my life up in the mountains of Colorado, 8,800 feet in the forest. And the deer, these, these deer come and sleep under my deck. <laughs> and they feel safe under there. And so this morning, I want to use nine times out of ten, I walk out on the deck and out comes a deer from under my deck, right? And uh, mm -hmm. so there's this doe under there this morning and she stopped right away and I started talking to her and talking to her and told her I was sorry for upsetting, you know, waking her up from her nap and, <laughs> So forth. We're having this whole conversation, uh, one-sided, of course. But um, And then I went back in the house, and then I come out later, and I have, I've got to take something down and put it in the crawl space under the house. I've got to go under the deck where she's sleeping. I come down. I go down those stairs. I'm six feet away from her. She's looking at me. I said, I'm sorry, but i got to go put this under the house. So I go and lock the door, put the stuff in the crawl space, lock the door up, and she's still standing there. And I'm coming back up right. the stairs and at, at the deck, still standing there. And I'm talking to her, and we're six feet away from each other. You know, I can see her eyelashes, you know. Right. And I'm going, if people could just 
had that kind of experience, you know, then they might have a different view on what the world should be like or could be like, and we could do a lot more about it. But that, I think so many of them never get that experience. Yeah, we have that in common, by the way. I talk to deer and they do stand it when I'm by myself. I think it's like when I was in Africa, you know, there's times the lions are walking through the field and the, the zebra are not worried at all. They know they're not hunting. And I think deer have known when I was hunting. Uh, but when uh-huh. I'm not, uh, I, I, they walk right up to me. I'll be fly fishing and they'll come right up and take a drink and I'll talk to her and say, hey, girl, how are you? And they're, they're just fine. They know. But I think you're right exactly, and we need to, we need more kids coming out of the inner city. We need more nature going into the city. Why do cities? Why why can't cities be green? Yeah. Why can't there yeah. be, Why can't there be trees for those kids to play in and and water going to those cities that have actual fish they can fish for? Uh, that would be part of my dream. Uh, yeah. I won't live long enough yeah. to see it, but I sure would like to be one of the people who try to push that along. Uh, Well, I think, Steve, you're you're doing your share right now by writing your books and, you know, sharing your experiences in nature through your writings. Keep up the good work. (laughs) I can't wait to read your next book. We're going to have to wrap it up here, but, yeah, let's leave it on a hopeful note, huh, and hope we can uh, all work towards uh, a better end than than what it's looking like. (laughs) Let's put it that way. We're going to have to do something. But stick with me here, Steve, because we're going to give away a few prizes, a membership to Five Fishers International, a membership to Trout Unlimited, and a copy of one of your books. So uh, somebody's going to be Wonderful. the lucky winner and get one of your books to read tonight. So Great. hang tight, and uh, I'll be right back. Travel to fish. Medical and security emergencies happen. When they do, you can rely on Global Rescue, the world's leading membership organization, providing integrated medical, security, travel risks, and crisis response services to travelers worldwide. Without a global rescue membership, an emergency evacuation could cost you more than $100,000. That's why over 1 million members trust Global Rescue to get them home when the worst happens. Don't travel without Global Rescue. Memberships start at just $129. Learn more about Global Rescue's program. Just click on the Global Rescue icon in the footer of the Ask About Fly Fishing website or I think it's in the right-hand column on our homepage there, too. So check out Global Rescue and see how they can help protect you on your next trip. Just a reminder to everyone, before you leave our website, please take a minute and give us your feedback about the show. You can find the link on our homepage in the section under tonight's show that says, what did you think of this show? Just click on the link and leave your comments. We'd really appreciate it. And now it's time to give away a few prizes. The drawings that we're going to do, the winners are randomly selected from our show's registration database. If you didn't register... For tonight's show, it's too late now, but do so for our next show so you have a chance to win one of our great prizes. Uh, If you are the lucky winner of the drawings, we'll contact you after the show and uh, hook you up with uh, getting your prize. So let's do the first drawing here. It is going to be for a one-year membership to Fly Fishers International. And let me fire up my database here and have it uh, randomly select somebody. And... Let's see here. Okay, it looks like our our winner is going to be Jeff Pritt. Jeff Pritt. So congratulations, Jeff, on uh, winning that uh, membership to ask about fly fishing. And Jeff is from Ohio. 
And our next winner is going to be for the one-year membership to Trout Unlimited, and that is going to be Tom Zamina. Tom Zamina, and Tom Zamina is also from Ohio. So we have two people from Ohio that won tonight. So that's great. So congratulations, uh, gentlemen, and I hope you enjoy your prizes. Now we're going to do a Q&A contest here for one of Steve's books. We'll let you pick which book you want if you're the winner. And thanks, folks. I do see your comments and questions coming in on the Internet, too. I just can't get to them all tonight, so I uh, apologize for that. But sometimes we need five hours instead of 90 minutes. <laughs> so, but I think we could have gone, Steve, for five hours tonight. But uh, we could. anyway, yeah. So, okay, this is kind of an oddball question, but where is Steve's favorite place to write? Where's Steve's favorite place to write? Send your answer in. Uh, use that uh, form on our homepage, and and you're going to win uh, one of Steve's books. So now it's there's a slight pause before they hear actually what we say, Steve. So there's a delay, and we have to wait for them to type. But I think that should be a pretty easy one, actually. I would. I don't think, so think they. Yeah, they were listening. So let's see if we get a winner here. Still refreshing. I'll keep trying here. Just need a drum roll. Yeah. So get one. Okay, let's see here. I think we have the uh, I think we have a winner. Well, it has <laughs> kitchen uh, kitchen table is, is the answer, uh, right? That Steve? is the answer. That is, that is the answer. It looks. It appears that Jeff Pritt is, <laughs> who just won the other thing, also won this. So uh, congratulations, Jeff, for paying attention. He says kitchen table is was the answer. So we've got other ones coming in. Elizabeth, you were correct. Phil, you were correct. Bob Younger, you were correct. I've got all you guys coming in here. But Jeff was the uh, the first, and congratulations, Jeff. What you need to do is. Send me, you can use the same form that you just answered in. Send me your address. I have your email address here and your name, but I need your shipping address. And tell me which book you want of Steve's. Do you want Casting Forward, which is his first book, or Casting Onward, which is his second book? So tell me which one you want, and then we'll have Lions Press send you out a copy directly to your shipping address. So thanks for playing and paying attention, Jeff, and everybody else uh, in the drawings. Uh, really appreciate it. And Steve, thank you so much for taking your time out of your day and your writing to, to spend time with us tonight and share your your thoughts and your writing and all that. It was a pleasure talking to you. Well, thank you for inviting me. It was a, the pleasure was mine. Great, great. Well, good to have you. Hopefully all of you have that are listening have found our podcast archive on our website. If you haven't, just look for the link on the top line menu. If you go in the archive, you can search for past shows by keywords, um, and, you know, anything by Trout, Madison River, Texas Hill Country, things like that, and you'll find shows on that. And we also have them organized by different categories. So check it out. There's all, over 365 shows out there now, a wealth of information, just like interviews we did tonight with Steve. So um, check it out. I'm sure you'll be impressed and have a good time browsing through there. Our next broadcast will be on October 19th. I'm going to skip a broadcast because I'm going to go on vacations. 
Uh, and believe it or not, it's not a fly fishing <laughs> vacation. So <laughs> this is where we have to please the other half, right? But I'm going to have fun too. So anyway, we'll be back on October 19th. I'm Matt Shum, and interview Matthew Miller. And our topic for the show will be Silver Creek, the legend and its future. Matt is the director of science communications for the Nature Conservancy and has fished Silver Creek countless times. Silver Creek is well known for testing the skills of many an accomplished fly fisher. So Matt's tips for fishing it will be invaluable. Join us and learn about fishing this legendary fishery and what changes are taking place that may affect the future of this spring creek. Be sure to add this upcoming show to your calendar. Just look under Matt's picture on our homepage. You'll see add the calendar button. Click on that and it'll add it to your personal calendar so you don't miss that live show. We'd like to thank Five Fishers International, Trout Unlimited, Lions Press, Muskie Town, Global Rescue, Gills Fly Fishing International, and Enrico Puglisi Flies for sponsoring our show tonight. Don't forget to visit our website at askaboutflyfishing.com and make sure you're signed up to receive our announcements so you don't miss out on any of our future projects. Thanks for listening to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio. We hope that's it. Good night, everyone, and good fishing.